Good job, choir. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Well, we have been uh, talking about, let me see, let me get this thing working here. We have been talking about uh, spiritual warfare on Sunday mornings and uh, how God has called us to victory uh, over the world and over the devil and uh, over everything that the devil wants to do against us. You know, uh, we started in March, uh, the beginning of this month, with the sermon series by that title, March, to remind uh, God's people that we're in a battle. I don't guess you had to be saved very long before you figured that out because you realize that uh, once you got saved, that it wasn't easy. It wasn't always peaches and ice cream, was it? It was a difficult struggle. And so we started talking about we're a soldier. We've been enlisted into the army of God. We are his soldier, Jesus. He's our commander-in-chief. We follow his orders. We fight alongside him. He is our strength and our salvation. Last week we talked about we're a fellow soldier. We're not in this battle alone. we got brothers and sisters on each side of us who are in the struggle with us, who are going through much the same thing as you and I are. And listen, today's Easter. We, we put on our Sunday best for Easter, don't we? Listen, take your mask off this morning. We're, there's none of us in here that are good. Amen? And if every one of us were to open our lives up and the skeletons of our closet, open up our closets, every one of us, if it were made known, we would be humiliated, wouldn't we? We don't want anybody to know what's real in our lives. But listen, folks, we've got to be real with God. And, and if you're going to fight in this spiritual battle alongside other people, we need to be real with one another. But today I want to remind you of something even better. And that is, not only are you a soldier, not only are you his soldier and a fellow soldier, you are a victor. I am a victor. The word victor doesn't appear very often in the scriptures, but it does in other forms. The word overcomer. We've been singing about Jesus has overcome. The word conqueror. In fact, the word in the original language of the New Testament is actually one you're quite familiar with. The word is Nike. Anybody ever heard of Nike? Nobody's ever heard of that word, have you? Nike, it means overcomer, conqueror, victor. One of the first major endorsements Nike got was Michael Jordan. Anybody ever heard of Michael Jordan? Yeah, baseball player. He tried baseball, but... You know, what do you think of when you think of Michael Jordan? I'll tell you what I think of when I think of Michael Jordan. I think of winner, victor, overcomer. In fact, I believe he's probably one of the only basketball players to have six national championships, six championships under his belt. I recently bought a pair of Nikes. I got them mainly because they were on sale. You know why they were on sale? Because they're going out of style. <laughs> you reckon I care? Not a bit. When I was y'all's age, 
I might have cared. By the way, y'all sounded really good singing behind me. That's a good youth choir right there on Sunday morning. Y'all did a good job. But I like the, I like the style and the color of this, Nike, this pair of Nikes. And, but you know what I noticed? They didn't make me any faster. They didn't make me any stronger. You know, you can pay a lot of money for a pair of Nike tennis shoes, but they won't make you stronger. They won't make you faster. They won't make you jump higher. They won't make you any healthier because a pair of tennis shoes can't change who you are on the inside. But I know one Nike that you can put on and you'll never be the same. This Nike will change who you are. This Nike will make you stronger, better, make you a winner, a conqueror. Would you like to know the name of this Nike? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate victor, the ultimate conqueror. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and hell. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In other words, that, that list of sins the devil's been keeping against you, it says it was contrary to us. It says he took it out of the way. Took it out of the way of what? Between me and God. He took it out of the way. So what did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. He paid for it. He disarmed principalities and powers. Remember, we looked at Ephesians 6 the first Sunday that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That is, demonic forces, the devil himself that we can't even see. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them. You see, the Romans and the Jews made a public spectacle of Jesus when they hung him on the cross. But while he was hanging on the cross, Jesus was making a public spectacle of the devil and his crowd. He triumphed over them in his death. He's the ultimate victor. Our choir just sang about. The Bible says in Revelation 20 that the devil's going to be cast into the lake of fire. He's defeated. By the way, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. He'll start leaving you alone. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and hell. Jesus conquered death and the grave. Brian read a, moment, a, script, a scripture a moment ago of Matthew 28 where the Bible tells us and re records the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, the angel said, He is not here, for He is risen, just as He said. We've been singing this passage all morning long. You maybe not recognize it, but it's from 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 54, When this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on mortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Thanks be to God, verse 57 says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, hell, death, the grave, and guess what else? He's conquered this world. In case you have forgotten, in case you're wondering who's still in control, he hasn't lost control. It kind of seems that way, doesn't it? The Bible does say that the devil has sway over the whole world. The devil has been given a certain amount of power and authority in this world. But he's on a short leash, and he has a short time. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Listen, when you watch the news, peace is not typically what I feel. I feel troubled. I get angry. I feel disturbed. When I hear about what's going on, people coming in and, and getting shot in these public places and, 
and all this mess that's going on. Peace is not what I feel. But Jesus said, in, the, in that context, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I want you to have peace. He said, why? Because I don't want you to be afraid, because I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17 about Jesus, you see, even though the devil knows where he's headed, he's headed to hell. He's headed there. He's going to make one last final attempt to crush Christ. He's going to gather the armies of the world. All the armies of the world are going to gather together in a physical battle, trying to do battle with the Almighty God, Jesus Christ. And about, you know it as the Battle of Armageddon. Here's what's going to happen. Not a finger is going to be lifted. Not a shot's going to be fired. Jesus is going to speak a word. He says, the sword from his mouth, which is the word of God. And there will be blood everywhere, up to the horse's bridles. With one word spoken, he'll slaughter millions that have stood against him. The Bible said in Revelation 17, they will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Chapter 19 says when he comes back, he's going to be riding on a white horse. And, it said, and we sang this a moment ago. He'll be crowned, and he'll be wearing a white robe dipped in blood. And his name will be called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's you and me, by the way. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no greater victor. Jesus is the champion. Now what does that mean for you and me? It means if, you know, I put that, I put that pair of tennis shoes on, it didn't make a lick of difference. I think it made me look better, but it, it didn't make a lick of difference. But what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the Nike? What does that mean for you? And me. It means if you put him on. That is, if you will believe in him, that he died for your sin, that he was raised again on the third day, and if you'll ask him to forgive your sin, he will save you. He will give you victory over all those things. What things? Sin, Satan, hell, death, the grave, and this world. You will experience the victory that you can only have in Jesus. You see, all we are. And all we have <coughs> is because of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 14. Well, actually, he's talking to the disciples. He said, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Listen, if you're saved, Jesus lives in you, and you live in him. And because of that, you are a victor. And because of this, we are hyper-Nikes. You know, that's a biblical word, hyper-Nike. Some of you have some hyper-kids. But it, it's, it's from Romans 8, 37. But we know that we are more than conquerors. It's all one word in the Greek language, huper nikao, hyper-Nike. You're more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. I want to show you an Old Testament illustration of victory 
through the Lord by looking at one of Jesus' earthly ancestors. In fact, his greatest earthly ancestor. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you haven't, to 1 Samuel 17. Of course, the scripture will be on the screen too, but it might be better for you just to open your Bibles and look at this. I want to show you an Old Testament illustration of victory through the Lord's by looking at one of his earthly ancestors. First of all, I want you to notice that victors have a victory mindset. Do you want to win? You know, if, if you want to win, you need to join the winning team. And the winning team, it may look like we're losing here, but I want to tell you, in the end, God's people will be standing right next to him. And some people don't want to join to be part of God's people today because it looks like they're, on the, they're the cusp. They're the, they're the scum. They're, they're the losers of this world. Well, maybe that's the way we look now, but we are victors. And we will be standing at the end. Join the winning team. Victors have a victory mindset. And too often, even those who are God's people, we fight from a defeated mindset. We fight from a defeated viewpoint. We think, well, I can't overcome that. I can't beat that. We have a tendency to face our enemy with defeat on our mind. Look at 1 Samuel 17. You know this story. It's very familiar. It's probably one of my favorite in all the scripture. The Philistine army on one hillside, valley on the other hillside, the Israelite army. On one side, you have a giant by the name of Goliath. Let's read about that giant. It says a champion, verse well, he was just a champion. He wasn't the champion. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's nine and a half feet tall. Michael Jordan wouldn't stand a chance against him on the basketball court. Nine and a half feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and, and the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of bronze, 125 pounds he wore on his body. He had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 15 pounds, and a shield bearer went before him. Pretty intimidating, isn't it? So this guy, nine and a half foot guy, is wearing 125 pounds of just his coat of mail plus all this other weapon and armor. He is a big dude. And all these Israelites are looking at him. And how are they looking at him? Look at verse. Listen to what he says, by the way. Verse 8, he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you will be our servants. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Give me a man that we may fight together. And here's how the Israelites were looking upon him. It says in verse 11, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Victors, though, don't look on their enemy with fear. They look on their enemy with faith in God. They have to renew their minds. How do they have this victory mindset? They renew their mind. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does the Bible say? 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we are not slaves to sin any longer. Sometimes when temptation comes knocking on your door, like it did this morning, like it did yesterday, like it will today, your mindset is, well, I've fallen a hundred times before, chances are I'm going to fall again. You don't have to. You don't have to. You just choose to. You have a defeatist mindset. You need a renewed mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we are no longer slaves of sin. He says in verse 6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that old sinful way of life, that body of sin was done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Listen to verse 10. For the death he died, Christ, he died to sin once. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also consider, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need a renewed mindset. How do victors have a victory mindset? They keep their eyes on the victor, not the enemy. Look back in our text in, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 24. The problem with Israel is they were looking at the enemy. When they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. But look at verse 33. Saul said to David, King Saul said to little shepherd boy David, by the way, David's just a boy. He said, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. Where was Saul's focus? On Goliath. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Where was David's focus? On God. Where's your focus? If you're going to win, your focus has to be on the Lord. To, Goliath, to David, to the Israel, and Saul, and David's brothers, Goliath was a giant. But to David, Goliath was puny. Why? Because he was looking at God. And God, in comparison to Goliath, is huge. Goliath, in comparison to God, was puny. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in me. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, victors have a victory mindset by renewing their minds, by keeping their eyes on the victor, not the enemy, and by drawing upon previous victories. Look what David did. We just read it. He was remembering. Hey, look at how God defeated the lion and the bear. And this Philistine is not going to be any different. He recalled previous victories. Listen, you don't have to be defeated in this life. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live defeated in sin all the time. You don't have to give in to the temptations of the devil. Listen, you can recall, hey, I've been victorious before. God's given me strength before. He'll give me strength today. How else do victors have a victory mindset? They, they declare victory before the battle begins. They declare victory before the battle begins. David did that. Look at verse 45. 
You've got to remember, David's just a shepherd boy. But David said to this Philistine, You come to me with sword, with spear, and with javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from your body today. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. He declared victory before the battle began and that's what you and I have to do if we're going to win. But most of the, how many times do we de declare defeat here? Declare victory. Satan, I come against you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. You stand no chance against him. You are a defeated foe. You're going to hell in a handbasket really quick. It's on, you're on a short... Man, you ought to be talking to him. You say, that's crazy. Well, try it. You're crazy for not trying it. You say, well, how do I, why do I have to talk to him? Because he can't read your mind. Only God is omniscient. Only God can read your thoughts. Only God is everywhere present. The devil, we need to take authority over him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His brothers declared defeat. They said, David, you can't do this. Saul declared defeat. David, you can't do this. David declared victory. Let me ask you this. Who won the victory? Saul and his brothers or David? And who declared victory? David. You want to win? Declare victory against the devil. You declare it. You claim it. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13 to 14, John writes to this church. He says, I write to you because you have overcome, you have overcome the wicked one. He repeats it again in verse 14. He says, because you have overcome the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Who's the wicked one? The devil. Are you an overcomer? Are you a Nike? You're actually more than a Nike. You're more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus. We need to declare the victory. Declare the words of God. Victors, secondly, are confident only in God. Victors place no confidence in their own ability or strength. You know, David, in, in 1 Samuel 17, his brothers thought he was just a little arrogant punk. Verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what David was speaking to the men and his anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And by the way, who's taking care of those sheep of our fathers that you left to come over here? He said, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For all you did was just come down to see the battle. Maybe you think it sounds arrogant, but you have victory. Well, if it is, if you think it's all of you. It is arrogance if you think it's just you. But it's not arrogance if you know whose victory you're really claiming. You're not claiming your victory. You're claiming his victory. You're claiming the power of the name of God. The name of Jesus. David didn't come in his own name. 
He didn't say, I stand against you in the name of King Saul. He didn't say, I stand against you in the the strength of my sling. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord God of the host of Israel. We We don't stand alone. We're confident only in God. This was not David's youthful arrogance. It was his faith-filled confidence in God. Another king, Hezekiah, later king of Israel, was facing an overwhelming horde of the Assyrians coming against him. And Hezekiah had to encourage the people. He said, listen, folks, with Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he says, with him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Victors... Declare victory before the battle begins. Victors do not depend on their own strength. Victors have learned that in their weakness, God's strength is perfected. Paul had to learn that, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul said he had this affliction, some kind of weakness of his physical infirmity of some sort. And he asked God several times, God, take this away. God, take this away. Finally, God said, Paul, don't ask again. I'm not going to take it away, but I will make my grace sufficient for you that in your weakness, my strength will be perfected. We recognize that that it's all about God's strength. We're weak. I am easily bowled over, and so are you. But when we stand with Christ, when we stand on His Word, when we declare His Word and His name, His authority takes over. His power takes over in a unique way. Lastly, I want you to understand that victors never give up. Victors never give up. Michael Jordan retired at what we thought was the peak of his career. Then he came back and won more national championships. Victors never quit. You've heard the phrase, quitters never win. We'll turn that around. Winners never quit. You see, if you quit, you lose. If you give up, you've already you're already defeated. Victors are undaunted by criticism and curses. Some of your own friends, when you take stands for truth and for righteousness, when you stand against the enemy, when you stand on, a, on something that you're convicted about, some of your own friends, some of your own family will not understand. David's brothers criticized him, thinking he could stand against Goliath. This giant Goliath cursed David. Look what it says in verse 42. Bad enough he had to overcome his brother's criticism. But in verse 42, now he's facing this giant. It says, verse 43, the Philistine said to him, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Listen, that's what the world's telling us as Christians today. Shut your mouth. Shut up. Don't tell us what what God says. We don't believe in God. We don't want to hear it. We don't even believe in your God. 
This Philistine cursed David by his little g-gods. He defied the one true God, and that's what's happening in this world today. And Christians, we're in a battle, and you and I had better stand. You and I had better never give up. You say it looks like we're losing. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You and I have an obligation as the armies of God. And yes, we're part of the army of God. We're joining all the angels of heaven, all the hosts of heaven. We're all in this together. And we must stand. Never give up. No matter the criticism you endure as a believer. No matter the curses that come your way. No matter the people that deny you and reject you. Listen, we must stand. We're undaunted by criticism and curses. And we're undeterred by the size and the skill and the weaponry of the enemy. Listen, this man, giant, this Goliath, he was huge. He was, Saul said, he was a skilled warrior since he was a boy. And he had weapons that were ten times bigger than any other weapon that Israel had. But David was undeterred by the size and skill and weaponry of the enemy. You and I, we're, we, we look at what this world is coming against us with. We don't, listen, greater is he that's in you than he's that in the world, than he that's in the world. You don't have to fear the enemy. The Bible says that David was not afraid. He said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I want to ask you folks something. Where is that kind of courage today? Where are the young people and their parents and their parents? Where are the church members? Where are the Christians today that that have that kind of spiritual backbone? They're out there, and some of them are here today. Some of you are here today, but we need more. We need more who are not going to be bowled over by every little threat and every little intimidation. We need men and women of God to say, I am a victor in Jesus Christ. I stand with Him and He with me. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus asked His disciples in that chapter, He said, Who do men say that I am? I want to ask you that. Who, who is Jesus to you? Just think about it. How would you describe him? Jesus said, who, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say Jeremiah. Jesus got down to the heart of the matter. He said, but who do you say that I am? You see... The world's calling Jesus all sorts of things. He's not God. He's not Lord. He's not Savior. He's just a man. He's just a prophet. He's just this. He's just that. Or he didn't even really exist. There is no God. I want to ask you, who do you say he is? Jesus said, who do you say? Peter stood up and said, You are the Christ. That is, you're the promised one from God. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus said this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And he said, Upon this rock I will build my church. Comma. And here's the next phrase. And the gates of hell shall not, what? Prevail against it. Listen, this world who's saying all these things about Christ that are not true, we know who He is. The world's coming against us. It's going to get harder and harder for us to even have a gathering like this. It's going to get harder and harder for the name of Jesus to even be mentioned in public. It's going to get harder and harder to even have this book in your possession. You wouldn't have thought so 50 25, 15 years ago. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Not even hell itself is going to beat the church of Jesus Christ because we are the church of Jesus Christ. Satan cannot stop us. You know, the New Testament church, if you go back and you look at the history of what was going on during this first century, the church, the New Testament church, Peter and John and James and those early apostles, there's 120 of them gathered in the upper room, and Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved, and, and he preached again and 5,000 people got saved, and the church was born that day on Pentecost. And that early church thrived. It, got, it, it thrived so much, it says, that they were accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus. And you think, well, that can't happen today. We live in such a wicked society, that'll never happen. See, there you go again. That's a defeatist mindset. But hey, I'm guilty too. But listen, the New Testament church, they prevailed under persecution from Jewish leaders and Roman, the Roman government. They had an oppressive government. They had a religious system that was oppressing them, persecuting them, killing them. For belonging to Christ. Paul, the apostle, was among those persecutors. But then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus changed his life. Jesus enlisted him into the army of God. And he began to preach and, and travel on missionary trips and starting churches all over southern Europe and Asia. All while Nero was emperor of Rome. The most tyrannical, wicked emperor Roman had known. Listen, church, it's not too bad to do the work of the Lord. But it, it's too bad if the church thinks it's too bad. And I think that's what's happening in, among Christian people is we've just given up. Well, the world's just going to win <laughs> on the world. What are you again? I am a victor. Let's stand in that position. Don't give up. You're more than a conqueror. Read this book, the Bible. It's not a book of defeat. It's a book of victory. And as you read the stories of God's victory in people's lives, you'll read of His victory. You'll read of our ultimate victory for all of eternity over sin and Satan and death and hell. And we have that victory because of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross, and Jesus came out of the tomb, that's 
because that's why we are victors. He conquered sin, Satan, death, hell, the grave. And my friends, if you will put him on, if you'll believe in him, that he died for your sin and raised again on the third day and ask him to forgive your sin, he will save you. And I know there's people here today that need to be saved. I know that there's Christians who need to hear this message because you've given up in your mind. You've given up. And you know you've given up. You've given up on the world. You've given up on this government. You've given up on, on this nation. You've given up. And God's calling you, don't give up. It ain't time to quit yet. Nobody can quit. In fact, nobody does quit. Jesus Christ comes back and calls us home. We don't quit. And so Christians, we, we don't need to quit. But there are many of you here today, some of you here today, that you need to start. You need to start. You need to start being victorious over sin. And the way you do that is by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Do you want